Welcome to A State of Mind with me, your host, Julian Ocean. For today's episode, I'm speaking with Kelly Boyes. Kelly is a trainer with the United Nations Foundation where she helped develop and taught a mindfulness-based course called Peace on Purpose. And she has helped deliver similar programs with the United Nations and UNICEF. She has worked in refugee camps in the Middle East, and we talk about that in our conversation some. She was also the director of something called Search Inside Yourself, which is a mindfulness-based well-being program that was developed in Google, I believe, and has now been expanded to other companies and even countries. And she talks about um, there's an interest for that in Bhutan, which was surprising to me because Bhutan is a Buddhist country, but I think they're interested in learning more neuroscience-based approaches to meditation there as well. So it was cool to hear about that. And she also worked for some years in the Prison Yoga Project. She was in the San Quentin State Prison, which is just north of the Bay Area. I've driven by it on the highway, and it it looks very beautiful in this odd way (laughs) from the highway. But it's uh, a really intense prison with long-term prisoners, and she worked with um, veterans who were in jail, and they were there, some of them for life. She is also the author of a book called The Blind Spot Effect, and that came out about a year ago, published by Sounds True. And this is a really cool little book that talks about how we can't see what we can't see and how having other people around us to reflect things that we can't see can be really helpful if it's done in a skillful way. And also how the practice of mindfulness and meditation can help us become aware of the lens through which we're seeing the world and the way that unconscious beliefs about the world influence the way we perceive things. We also talk about trauma and ways to work with it and begin to heal it and how having good psychoeducation and practices such as embodied mindfulness can help prevent trauma from building up in our system because we can process it more in real time. We discuss mindfulness in different contexts, including more traditional Buddhist approaches. And she actually comes in part from a tradition called Kashmir Shaivism. And we don't go into a great deal of depth about that, but she does share some practices that come out of that tradition. And we also talk about neuroscience and a more secular approach to mindfulness as well. Kelly is a very warm-hearted, lovely person. It was great to have her on the podcast. And I hope you enjoy her as much as I did. Without further ado, I bring you Kelly Boys. today with Kelly Boys. Hello. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, it's nice to be here. We, we actually met on a meditation retreat. We did. Yeah, with Re- Reggie Ray. Yeah, yeah. the Dharma Ocean um, some years ago. Yeah, I've, I've been teaching meditation for about 10 years. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've actually, it's, it's become something of a theme. I've had a number of people on the podcast now that I met through some different retreats I've been on. Nice. It's been a, a really cool way to connect because when you're on mm-hmm. a Meditation retreat, there's not always a lot of time to actually connect with the other people there. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> just true. see the back of their head. or <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny because you deeply recognize that person too when you see them later. Because I saw you later and thought, I know who you are. Yeah. I've been on retreat with you. <laughs> yeah. So how how did you come to be a meditation teacher? And, and you're also the author of a book called The Blind Spot Effect, which we can talk about. Sure, yeah. Uh, how did I become a meditation teacher? Well, I meditation... Uh, 
was something that I encountered. It was been over 10 years ago. Mm. And uh, I, I encountered it because I was looking for a way to meet my experience that was different from what I had done up until that point. Mm. And uh, I was basically just suffering as a lot of people, I think, that come to meditation, you know, they come because yeah. there's, there's some deep grief, there's some anxiety, there's uh, some way that the way that they've been operating in the world isn't really working at some level or you can kind of sense there's an offness inside and that's, yeah. that, that's how it was for me. Some kind of suffering and often yeah. there's, there's a story of discovery and of mm-hmm. discovering the, benef- the benefits. Yeah, yeah. And then if you stick with it long enough, you can go through a honeymoon period and then yes. you're like, why am I still doing this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's not always smooth sailing. Mm, it's not always smooth but. sailing. I find like the underlying principles of it seem so consistently applicable, mm. you know? Um, whereas the practices seem to change over the years for me. Like the kind of practices you yeah, do? Yeah, the kind of practices and whether it's kind of a 24-7 where I'm really in it and doing long retreats or if I'm not even, quote, practicing at all, but just living my life in a different way. Right. Like your still experience is still being informed by that practice that you have yeah. done and the mm-hmm. way that you can respond to the world and situations. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think some of the the underlying teachings, for lack of a better word, or recognitions that come through the practice mm. can uh, can just permeate your life until until they don't. And then it's like a return to the practice. Yeah. Um, and way. also can consistently practice. But yeah, for me right now, it's like um, feeling a lot of wonder. And that seems <laughs> to be a pretty consistent practice in my life these days. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just, I guess I'm curious about your life. You worked with the United Nations some? Do you want to? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I first came to become a meditation teacher uh, through the iRest work. Have you heard of Integrative Restoration? It's with Richard Miller. Uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, was that um, an app that came out? Um, that's not an app, but it's it's a 10 step protocol okay. that has been used a lot, like with veterans and people with PTSD. Mm that um, draws on the work of, of Yoga Nidra the, um, and the Kashmiri Shaivist teachings. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, and then he's a clinical psychologist, Richard is. Mm. And so he brought his understanding of kind of the human psyche to that Eastern understanding of, um, of the human life. And so he put this thing together called Integrative Restoration. And that mm. was actually the first meditation I did mm. and um, changed my life. So I, I, It's a lying down, guided kind of relaxation practice. And um, yeah, so I I started doing it and started going on retreats and then eventually started teaching it and then worked with Richard at his nonprofit institute. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah, training teachers. and So in Yoga Nidra, you lie down and it's a a lot about relaxation. It's a lot about relaxation, but that's not the goal because otherwise it's just annoying when you're trying to relax and you can't. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's a way to to welcome your experience like breath, body, emotions, thoughts, joy, sense of self Mm. within um, a context where you're not like physically holding yourself up. Mm. So there's something about just the fact of lying down that when you do feel, you know, a movement of breath in and out or like a, a, an emotion you're feeling in your chest or a, um, challenging thought you have that you're holding and you're believing about yourself there's some embedded kind of resting 
that you're that you're mapping onto the meeting of your experience hmm. that I think is really profound. Yeah. And it might simply just be the act of laying down. <laughs> laying down and staying in your body and having yeah. awareness of what's happening and then mm-hmm. imagine mm-hmm. it would be easier to fall asleep that way. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so with that practice you just fall asleep until you don't. And then, mm. you know, once you get rest, then you don't need it. And um the practice becomes really inquiring with what's present. Mm. And um yeah, so I went from there to uh, working with the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, which is out of, um, it's like Google has a mindfulness program called Search Inside Yourself. Yeah. And um, it's like a play on and the Google that, search. Is that for Google employees? It's for Google employees. Okay. And then what happened was Meng Tan wrote this book called Search Inside Yourself. It became a bestseller. Mm. And then these companies were calling him like, we want your your Google mindfulness program here in mm. our company. So he started this leadership institute. And uh, they hired me to direct a whole teacher training to bring like teachers from around the world together to oh, wow. learn that program to then take it into the corporate setting other places. Interesting. And since then, it's kind of just blown up in a good way. And it's they're training, I think, all the teachers in Bhutan right now. And um, in Bhutan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got a <laughs> Wouldn't request. Think that Bhutan needed right? meditation teachers. Yeah, because that's like the land of happiness. But they, you know, they they love that it's kind of articulated around the neuroscience piece and um it's very accessible so um so it sounds like a very secular more science informed approach to mindfulness yes. rather than a sp- specifically is. spiritual or it is yeah so it was interesting for me to go from uh the yoga nidra i rest kind of depth work to um the the more kind of introductory mindfulness space hmm. And at first I resisted it a little bit. I think anytime you're coming out of one system, going into another, there there can be some kind of transition moment where you're like, my other thing's better or my other <laughs> thing sucked and this is awesome. And that, it's like the new cool thing. And so for me, it was like my other thing's better, you know. Right. And then really as I as I uh, learned the material and was teaching it and, and helping direct the team there, uh, I could see the advocacy of it and the appeal of it and, mm. and how powerful it was. Yeah. So I developed a real respect for this kind of neuroscience-based mindfulness. And, yeah, I appreciate um, that. Yeah. It's different, different contexts and different situations and right. maybe people looking for different things. There certainly can be that looking down attitude from mm-hmm. both sides. I've seen both sides. For sure. And then we bring in like the corporate world and all the economics of that and it can become controversial. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you, I mean, often is asked like, are you just medicating the masses to just do their jobs? And, you know, (laughs) like they're these calm robots now. Um, And I think that's a worthwhile question, actually, because um, I don't know the answer. I think that generally speaking, that's not what this does. This Mm. work does mindfulness or anything, any, because for me, it's, the essence of it is inquiry and mm. um, capacity to be with your own experience and your experience around you. And so if there's capacity to deeply meet yourself, you're likely, you're less likely to go to sleep, actually. You're mm. less likely, I think, to um, be medicated. But you are you are more likely to be a little more happy. I, you know, <laughs> that so would be a good I, thing. <laughs> so, um, well, there's a, lot yeah. of, there's a lot of issues there. Because that same criticism can apply to religion in general, like the so-called yeah. opiate of the masses. And if you're believing in an afterlife, for example, mm-hmm. then you're going to be less worried about maybe negative conditions in this life. And mm-hmm. Or if you have spiritual practice that makes you okay with everything. Because part of what mindfulness and meditation teaches you is that circumstances don't determine your inner state. Yeah. But that can be 
a recipe for abuse where you can put yourself in a situation that's actually kind of abusive that's and right. justify it based on this understanding, which is genuine, that you can cut Absolutely. through suffering and, and feel liberation in any situation. And it's a tricky area because a lot mm -hmm. of, like with cults, for example, they can mm -hmm. use some of these techniques in a way that there's efficacy, there's there's goodness to them, but then they can be misused. Maybe yeah, with the leadership, absolutely. if the leadership's not ethical, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 it's it's true. And I think you know that that spiritual bypass can can creep up in so many different ways. Uh, it, so someone's faith could bring them directly into uh, an honest encounter with life, mm. and someone's faith can bring them like completely avoiding. Uh, you know, they're the suffering that's that's right in front of them or inside of them, and and yeah. and yeah, it's really interesting how we just do that as humans. We just find systems to kind of help ourselves <laughs> feel better, <laughs> develop coherent stories, and and I have a lot of respect for that in some ways that that uh, our nervous systems are built to um, go on coherent stories. We don't use as much glucose and all that stuff. Hmm. <laughs> Thinking, having a coherent having story reflect. does a lot of work for us. It's it useful does. and helpful. And mm -hmm. well, I think that you can't, and we can't really say this about other people. You kind of have to just look at yourself because mm -hmm. you could look at someone who is, you know, scrubbing the floors in a Zen monastery and sleeping four hours a night. And that's, that is abusive. But if, but that doesn't mean someone couldn't choose that out of their own free will for their own path at that point in time mm -hmm. in their life. And, that's right. So. That's right. And and there's so much just because of the patriarchy and um, hierarchical uh, cultures and societies we live in that um, there's just a lot of chance for uh, for abuse, basically. And we're we're seeing it kind of writ large right now in our in our in the spiritual context. And um, and I think it's good. It's just getting exposed, and and then people find their own way in it, you know, yeah. and hopefully get educated and learn how to uh, be empowered to choose and to find what's right for them. And um, yeah, and, and I actually went from the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute to the the UN work oh, after well. that. And I was at San Quentin State Prison a little bit um, in yeah, between. Yeah, that, that was in your book. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and actually there we were looking at with the UN Foundation – we were, we're looking at um, Catherine Cook-Catone is a professor of psychology from the University of Buffalo. Mm. So um, she and I primarily um, co-developed this program called Peace on Purpose for, mm. for the United Nations humanitarian development workers. And um, so we were trying to look at how to frame like a two-day training around some of these principles that would um, deliver the basics of, of mindfulness and how to how to really meet and encounter yourself, but also mm. be embodied and be, um, you know, not just like this heady thing of learn this thing to basically escape your experience or to make yourself feel better temporarily, but how mm. do you actually uh, learn what mindfulness is and mindfulness is in the context of your of your body and of, of mm. living in a, a a world that's challenging and chaotic. And, yeah. and this yeah. was for the UN mm -hmm. to, and what was it being developed for? Like what kind of people? So for, uh, staff of UN, oh, okay. so, um, UNDP, UNICEF, UNFPA, mm -hmm. the population fund, you know, some of great. these workers. Yes. We've delivered it to, um, all around the world now. And, oh, wow. uh, yeah, as people seem to enjoy it and we, we built it around, um, Actually, it was neat because I got to bring Richard Miller's work back into mm. this after having done more of the, like what we were saying, the neuroscience-based mindfulness stuff. Yeah. And so we framed the whole program around the four needs that we have as humans. So beyond mm. like the basic needs of like safety, food, 
uh, shelter, water, clothing, Mm. um, that we all share these needs to be seen, to be heard, to feel connected, and to belong. Mm. And so the whole program is framed around that. How do you see yourself and see another? You know, hear yourself and orient to actually what you see and really deeply listen. Mm. And then how do you connect? How do you... um, how do you basically engage with what you see and hear in a different way? And then belonging, like know this shared humanity, you know, we're all in this together. And, and so yeah. we give like 17 tools and it's just a fun program. Cool. Yeah. So that's how I, I don't know how I got there. I just meandered my way. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love that. I mean, yeah. I think people doing humanitarian work, doing work in the UN, like they really, I think that's a beautiful marriage of mindfulness practices and, and that kind of, work that's coming from a really good intention, but then so easy to become burned out on right. or to, to like get caught up in all the, you, you lose like the reason why you're doing it. Yeah, you do. Totally. We put mission mapping in there for that reason. You know, we, we know that you need to be connected with your mission, have sustainability, but also self care, you know, right. so you don't burn out. Right. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully they come together. They could be the same. They do. They do. We do it. We have it like, it's just two wings of a bird. You know, <laughs> you need your mission and you need your self care. I mean, we all do. Yeah. Yeah. Great. What was, and did you, was that the UN like in New York or where were, where were you going? Yeah. Um, so the UN headquarters for UN development program and UNICEF and the, the population fund in New York. Hmm. And then some of those agencies decided, Hey, we want to bring this to, you know, some of the hardest hit places. So, uh, South Sudan, um, we've been to, uh, Zimbabwe, Pakistan, um, Jordan. Like you, you went there yourself? Or? Um, I've gone to Jordan and a lot to New York and mm. my colleagues have gone, um, all over the world with this cause it's, and, uh, Lululemon actually sponsored the whole thing. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, that's and a good shout out. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's really neat what they do actually. They've just, uh, released a video on it and are talking about it publicly now. Oh cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just this week. So, um, it's, it's neat that it's gaining traction. They've committed to three more years of funding. So, oh, yeah, it's it, offered for free to the UN. Oh, to anyone who works for the UN? Mm-hmm. Is there a mm-hmm. research component with it? Yeah, we researched the first several trainings that we did, and we were looking yeah. at factors for burnout and um, stress and trauma and that kind of thing. And, mm. and we had really good statistically significant trends in That's the right great. direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there is a huge potential for... It's kind of like preventative medicine. If you know about trauma and about mindfulness and and about the impacts it can have and you can seek help if you need it shortly after, it can prevent those memories from kind of getting sunk into your body in a really deep way that you cover up for years on end and then Mm. leads to all the chronic problems that that can cause. That's right. Yeah. It's like So some simple psychoeducational stuff can be so helpful just to kind of catch yourself in a moment and to normalize it too. Yeah. I think people try to push through. One of the things I've been learning about lately is is uh, working through trauma. is like trauma is something that's affecting your experience mm-hmm. in the present moment, but it's coming from a past experience. And if you can have those memories and kind of relive that experience and see it objectively mm-hmm. and release all the emotion, emotionality around it eventually, mm-hmm. that's actually healing. Yeah, it, can, it really can be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you're no longer living your life in the present based on these past negative experiences. Mm-hmm. You can be informed by them. You still have the memory. You still have the learning, but you're not... Mm-hmm being unconsciously controlled by them and reacting yeah. in all these ways. Yeah, I think that's why the body is so important in that and in, in any work with looking at trauma because um, that memory 
you know, stays in the body and it, it gets released in the body. And, <laughs> and um, then we have, you know, for me, I know because I dealt with anxiety a lot in my 20s. So I know what it feels like in my body when I'm starting to get toward, you know, I have a little bit, a little bit of a stress response that I'm rocking um, that does come from like a previous memory that, you know, I'm sort of and I put some of that stuff in my book about all the biases we have, you know, oh, yeah. just the uh, confirmation bias, just you're looking for something and then you confirm it when you see it. And, um, and so, but that all affects our nervous system. And so I have a lot of respect for listening to the wisdom of the nervous system. And w mm. when it starts to get into that kind of towards an anxiety response, you know, that the end part of that could be a trauma response but if you catch it soon enough and you can kind of soothe or mm. actually simply just feel what's in your experience without fixing changing it it tends to um yeah it tends to know oh okay i'm welcome here right. like i'm welcome to be here you can right like yeah. processing it in real time Absolutely. rather than storing it for later yeah yeah, yeah. that's huge mm-hmm so what was, then you worked in a prison after the UN? Oh, before. Yeah, was before? I was with James Fox of the Prison Yoga Project. Oh, cool. I've yeah. heard about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so neat what he does. Yeah. He's He works tirelessly. He's got this global organization going and yoga That's and prisons cool. all over the world. Wow. Yeah, so we just, I went in with him for a couple of years. We went in uh, every week and um, we just, we taught together. He would teach the yoga portion, the asana, and I would teach the yoga nidra. Oh. to a group of veterans, incarcerated veterans oh, in San Quentin, lifers with the possibility of parole. Oh. Yeah. And they're mm -hmm. like, do they have yoga mats? Are they doing the yeah, practice? Yeah, they have yoga mats and mm. yeah, full on doing the practice. Anywhere from uh, OEF, OIF, like Operation Enduring Freedom, um, Iraqi Freedom vets to the Korea War vet. So it's like... Oh, huge age range. Huge. And yeah. They, I mean, they served in the armed forces and then later committed a crime. Is that yeah. kind of what... Mm -hmm. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's neat to see, I don't know, you know, just, I've, that's probably the, one of the, one of my favorite things I've ever done, just being in that environment, you mm. know, and is there, these are people also who just like don't have cell phones, you know, so it's a different mm. kind of quality of attention. Interesting. And, um, it's very rare a, to meet someone without a cell yeah, phone. <laughs> completely. Yeah. And, the, and so there's a, there's a familial quality, I think, with veterans that they have. So mm. it was it was an honor to be able just to be there and share. And I learned a lot for and, sure. And these were all people that were in for life? In for life with the possibility of parole. So a couple of them have paroled since. Oh. What and kind of, I've seen them on the outside. So what kind of things were they in there for? Um, different things anywhere from uh, murder to, um, you know, lesser lesser crimes. Okay. So like robbery or? Robbery, Yeah. Probably if it was repeated to be in that long, mm. yeah. But you said you saw some on the outside, like they. I did, yeah. So they could get some of them could get parole. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. After twenty years, of, 20 you know, years, twenty yeah. years or thirty years, sometimes. It's so wild to think about mm -hmm. spending twenty years in in jail and then getting yeah. out, and how that I can't imagine what that that's transition a, would be it's like. Tough. It's got to be so hard. It's a tough transition, and um, but some some people make it fairly well, especially when they have these skills that they've learned. You know, the emotional intelligence skills, they go through classes there and yoga. Um, and it's interesting how it was taught to them. They don't, they don't think of yoga as 
you know, grabbing your foot behind your head. <laughs> they think of yoga as, you know, meeting your experience. Oh, nice. They yeah. might have a better understanding of yoga than I think so. a lot of them. So they said to me, you know, I took one to a yoga class and a friend, and uh, he said, he said, like, wow, this is really different than James's yoga, you know, in San <laughs> Quentin, because, um, yeah, the, the yoga that was taught in there was, was very integrative, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a whole other subject, but it's interesting mm-hmm. how, I mean, I'm not knocking it like yoga as a fitness routine or yoga as a way to improve strength, flexibility, all that stuff's good. Absolutely. But then the quality of like bringing mindfulness to yeah. your present moment experience without judgment is, um, that's a whole nother approach that's different than pushing yourself. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's but, right. Yeah. It really, it makes me think about like, imagine someone going to prison for 20 years and coming out of jail and like the iPhone has been invented and that wasn't there when they went in and oh. it must just be an extraordinary, yeah. Kind of like know. I mean, it's not like they're, they can still see TV. They still know what's going on in the world. So it's, yeah. it's not like they're Absolutely. on a desert Island, but you are cut off from society. And Absolutely. I don't know. I, well, you know, uh, I was, I was, I was jogging in the woods out in Point Reyes national seashore. I don't know if you've mm. been there. It's just California, Marin County. Yeah. yeah. It's just this gorgeous, um, area right at the ocean. And, I was I was jogging on this path and I jogged right past. Uh, this was probably you know an hour from my house. I jogged right past um, someone who'd been in the classes for years no with way. James, wow. and he had just been paroled. Oh man! And um, I went. I said his name. I went. Is that you? And he said <laughs> Kelly. You know, we couldn't believe we we're encountering each other in the woods all of a sudden. You know, after oh, wow. only in the prison and. Um, he had his phone at the end. And he said, "Well, I, you could, you know, tell me what your contact information is, but I don't know how to put it in here." <laughs> <laughs> so he handed it to me, and I oh. did. And um, but you know, since then, of course, he's deeply integrated, and is um, I think working uh, with a law firm right now. And oh, wow. yeah, well, it sounds like you stayed in touch with some of these people and mm-hmm. actually developed a relationship. Yeah, a couple. Mm-hmm. Did you feel fear when you're in the woods jogging? You see someone like that? No, 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 not at all. I oh, didn't. That's no, not in that. Um, I had known him for years and, and so had James and okay. I felt uh, very safe actually. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Good that yeah. But I could understand so, the question. <laughs> so many negative stereotypes. That's right. Fears around that's that. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much yeah. of the people in our jail are there because they acted out in a way when they were 18, 19, 20, your nervous system isn't even fully developed yes. and you yes. react in a moment of anger mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And, uh, then you're spending decades paying for it. That's part of what you talk about in your book. That's right. Yeah. Like yeah. It was, uh, Roberto, I give his story in there. He's now been, pro- he's now out and, um, and yeah, that uh, a choice was made or a flash moment, um, action was taken, you know, at a very young age for him, like mm. 18 or 19. It and could just be instinctual for someone. Like absolutely, if we yeah, have, we have these amygdala from, takes yeah, over yeah. completely. But think about being like a quote-unquote caveman and mm-hmm. those instincts would, you know, saved our lives, passed on our genes, and now absolutely now we don't need them as much. I mean, we still we do, but, but we need to, we need more awareness with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I, I, you know, I'm humbled by it because anybody is capable of anything. And right. I, I really like Robert Sapolsky's book, Behave. He, you know, he talks about you, know, you, you just put anybody in a certain circumstance with certain conditioning and, and wiring, and you know, it's likely to produce a similar result. Like, you know, <laughs> we like to think that we would never do this or that. But, right. but um, and the classic example yeah. of that is the Nazis. They're like, yeah. Oh, I would never do that. And if you're in the environment right. where the whole society is going in a certain direction, it'd Abs- be very difficult to not. Yeah, I mean, look, at <laughs> look at us now. Look at us now. 
Yeah, I just I think it's really important for especially the politicians or political, if you're politically active, if you want to criticize America, to do it in the context of gratitude and appreciation rather than, mm. that, that's what's driving a lot of polarization, I think. The people yeah. on the right are like, okay, these, you know, you're just complaining and trying to tear our country down. And Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I do wonder if, if the if the discourse would be embedded in a context of, of kindness and appreciation, it could be <laughs> completely different. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine. Have you ever heard of the compliment sandwich? No. <laughs> it's like if you want to give someone feedback that's kind of negative or difficult, it, oh. it's something that you don't like or that wasn't right, you start off by giving them a compliment. Oh, you yes. find something like genuine. You genuinely yes. appreciate it. I, you know, I really appreciate you did this. Mm-hmm. And then when you show up half an hour late every day, it's not good. Mm. But I'm glad that you're showing up at all. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Actually, I have a chapter on feedback in my book on blind spots. Oh, you um, it's called Fuck Feedback. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, it's just more um, really asking for um, for information that and reflections that can help us grow instead mm. of feedback that can help us change, you know. Oh. And well, say I more about that. What is well, I think, you know, especially when you're looking at blind spots and how, so we all have them and have these ways that we operate that sometimes can be obvious to others around us. And when we're motivated by needing that person to change so that we can feel better, mm. uh, there's there's something inside that, that the expression of that that's that's kind of violent. And so we say, you yeah. know, we have all these ways of, okay, I have some feedback to give you or, you know, all right, sit down. Are you ready to receive some feedback? You know, and, and your heart starts being faster. Yeah, you're like, completely. Oh, God, you feel like a it's little like, kid oh, what did again. I do? What did I do? And <laughs> how bad am I to you? You know, and whereas to actually ask your loved ones or your friends or your partner, or whoever, your family, is there something you see about the way I navigate life that were I to see it, I would grow and be able to see more clearly and see the impact mm. of my behavior on others. And it's like an invitation to, can you help me grow? Mm. And, but everyone has different um, toleration points for hearing reflections even. Mm. And then the people that give the reflections have different capacities. You know, it's like, right. well, you just cut that thing out that you do. It's so annoying. You know, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't tend to help us. Right. And I, I think mm-hmm. what you're pointing to is there's a kind of a aggressiveness from the person doing the giving the feedback. Yeah. And it's actually about them and maybe. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But what you what you just asked was like a very mature way to go about mm-hmm. it. And most people aren't asking that question. No, they're not. So I give different ways in the book how to do it. I'm like, you, you know, everything from what are my blind spots to a very cautious way to ask without even saying blind spot. Mm. You know, is there anything you can that you see about me that you have advice that could help me grow. Um, so part of the, part of the point of your mm. book is that we all have these blind spots and by definition are unaware of them. We need yes. someone else to be a mirror to, for us to become aware of that. Usually. It's like shadow, yeah. like shadow work in psychology. That's right. Yeah, it's very similar. That's right. And uh, I think these, these blind spots can obviously drive us very unconsciously and cause us to act out patterns Yeah. and hurt ourselves and others. And, and I'm also very interested in, this relates to meditation, the core blind spot of how we hold ourselves in the world together. Mm. And, uh, that if that is seen through and seen more clearly what lenses we're, we're, we're stacking up, you know, outside of ourselves, 
um, were we to see both the core blind spots and then all the associated emotional and cognitive blind spots, like things would shift. I think that's what can happen on retreat with people or mm. sitting in meditation is where the invitation to look inward, you suddenly see the lens you're looking through, mm. you know, and there's a way that in seeing the lens, the lens can um, be a lens instead of how things are, how right. I am. Right. And that, that makes sense to me because I've had, you know, some experience with that where all of a sudden the way that you're seeing the world becomes something that you're aware of rather than your reality that you assume is just the way things are. Mm-hmm. But um, I wonder, do you have any like specific examples, like make it a little more concrete? Mm-hmm. So say uh, I grew up with, I didn't, but so I'll <laughs> use this example. So don't worry, dad, it wasn't about you. Say I grew up with a father who basically in ways large and small always told me I'm bad. Mm. I was wrong. You get I was that bad. message. Get the yeah. message. It's like, you're bad. What are you doing? You know, and what? just an example of the formation of that blind spot there what can happen is then I start to inter- either internalize a voice of I'm bad and I start kind of self-harming or being self-violent or doing it before the other person does it mm. as I grow up into an adult. Mm. So I kind of acting from shame and unworthiness or I basically go into a grandiosity and like, I'm not bad you're bad. The Mm. world is bad. I could never be bad because that's a defense against being bad. Mm. And uh, so these blind spots then can cause that person to then operate out of either like the grandiosity or the shame and other things that go along with it. And then they don't realize, you know, they're hurting the people around them by constantly taking everything so deeply personally when the person isn't actually shaming them but they just go there or by refusing the other person and disconnecting from them because Mm. they've told me I'm bad and I can't actually accept the part that is bad in me so I think one of the antidotes Mm. for for some of our blind spots is to kind of welcome the the full spectrum so yeah I'm bad and I'm not it's so like I'm willing to be bad or to for you to perceive me as bad and I'm willing to actually do things that impact people. I'm willing to see that I have impact on people mm. and I'm also willing to be good and see that I have positive impact on people and that I'm not bad <laughs> and I hold them both together and then there's some way it's like when someone then tells me I'm bad, it doesn't go into that fused place at the end of the spectrum mm. But there's a way that it's balanced. Right. I Hold can receive complexity. it. And it's not like a blind spot anymore. It's like a, a welcomed part of my psyche that's now more integrated. Mm, nice. So it's really interesting how someone could overly think I'm bad or completely not think they're bad. And so then they, they don't admit anything they've done that's actually wrong. You know, and then you, you, see <laughs> the, you see what um, the impact is on their families or, or workmates or direct reports or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like yeah. a defense mechanism. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And some, sometimes it can be emotional, the blind spots, you know, just, um, anxiety or depression, um, that keeps occurring in, in your nervous system and your body and your mind because you're not, there's something that you're seeing, like th- that you're seeing with this blind spot. So you're not seeing fully, oops, we're not seeing fully clearly. Right. And so that's why I think meditation is so important is you just start to surface what's actually present. Thanks. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting because meditation is something, generally speaking, you do on your own. So I think having that and a, maybe a therapist or just people in your life that can be that can reflect to you. I agree. That seems really important. It is really important. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of the role traditionally of the teacher, this uh, quote-unquote guru. They would be someone yeah. who theoretically had cleansed their own mirror so that they could then reflect you more clearly. Yes, yes. That's right. And yeah, the, the challenge with that is that there, there are not very many clear mirrors around. And so <laughs> it seems hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would argue there probably aren't any. And so, uh, yeah, because of that, there, it can be challenged to give your, you know, it's challenge any point to give your power away to someone who supposedly knows something about the internal experience of, of you. Yeah, so. I think ideally you'd, you would, they would do it in such a way that you could see it yourself. Yeah, um, they would help you into seeing yourself. Right. Totally, totally. I had actually, uh, to get back to Richard Miller again, he told me, you know, you never, you never know what's in another person's experience. That yeah. stuck with me because I think when you become a teacher or become a therapist, you start to get good at assuming that you know, mm. and and generally speaking, sometimes you do know and you are accurate, but the assumption mm. that you know is the thing that's in your way. Yeah. So that's it's really helping tricky. someone into their experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things I try to do in therapy when I'm seeing a client is ask them, like, is that true for you? Or yes. Give them give them choice because sometimes it's it's very challenging for someone to articulate their own experience. Yeah. And so I can offer like some different ideas, some different mm. sentences, putting. Putting something you're experiencing into a sentence or a story yeah. is really powerful, and it's not always when you're really in an emotion, it's hard to do. You need help with that. So, yeah, yeah, that's I what a, a therapist completely agree. I uh, I mentored also. I just would love to mention John Prendergast. Have you heard of him? He's written I've the book. Heard of him? Yeah, he wrote the book In Touch. He's a, oh, okay. a psychotherapist out in California. He's a spiritual teacher as well, and uh, I was mentored by him for many years. And he has really neat work around resonance. So he basically functions in a therapeutic role or just, I think, as as well as how he moves through his life, saying resonating with the truth of what someone's saying. And so there's a way that um, he's meeting their experience but not imposing. Mm. And so when he will invite them into something, it's really into an inquiry. Like, as you say that, I'm feeling my heart. I'm curious what's present for you. And and, and I think because he's been doing this for so long and so refined with it, I think he is generally very precisely attuned. Mm. So that's such a gift to someone. When you hear someone, like you say, reflect back to you what you can't articulate yourself or mm. deeply mirror and attune to what it is you are experiencing without fusing with it and merging with you. Right. Still being an independent human there. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, that was well said. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of different directions we can go in. Yeah. <laughs> it's just made one thing to just share, you know, because I've studied the Buddhist teachings for a while is like, and I think this gets lost in, in contemporary mindfulness. Like, you know, it's not, it's something outside the realm of neuroscience or or maybe even secular mindfulness. But the idea that goes, you know, that goes back to 2,500 years in Buddhism is that the Buddha is someone who has become that perfect mirror. And anyone who's not at that level isn't, but mm. it's this idea almost of like transcending our humanity. Completely. And then, um, it's a very masculine idea, by the way. Yeah. It's a very masculine yeah. idea, but it's just interesting that in the traditional teachings, it's like the Buddha does know your 
experience. Mm, I and, see. Uh, oh, interesting. I don't know if that's literally true or not, but that's mm. what it says because it's like he is, it's, or he or she, he's kind of transcended gender and identity and all those things, but right. it's like some kind of experience of whatever enters that field yeah. is then perfectly reflected. There is some truth to when, like you say, something enters a clear field, it's clearly reflected. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I could completely understand that. I probably start to take issue anytime I hear anyone that, lived that um would have been a perfect mirror but um i think he left his wife and kid behind or whatever <laughs> oh the buddha yeah i have opinions <laughs> he abandoned his family and <laughs> right yeah. All, yeah other than that he was a perfect mirror <laughs> but no there's something so clear and deep about the teaching that that has survived that long yeah you know well, so I wonder it's too if uh, yeah. if people are able to access some degree of that and sh- and and share that and then but so. it's not perfect you know they yeah so that's probably yeah i think so yeah. it seems like with your conditioning you're always living something out and you know that i think that's what is neat about what the kind of western thought has brought to yeah. the conversation yeah it's to really meet I, the conditioning yeah, yeah. Part, part of my point in bringing that up isn't to argue for it or say that's reality or not but like mm-hmm. i think that ideal is something beautiful and mm. and that we shouldn't just throw it out as superstition uh, yeah, I There's I an totally ideal, and we may, maybe that. no one reaches it 100%, but maybe someone gets there 97% or 96%. Mm-hmm. Or, and sometimes know. these moments of awakening or uh, deep recognition, it feels 100%. Yeah, maybe yeah. in that moment it is. Yeah. I don't know. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, it is interesting. It's set up as a, as a goal or an ideal, and in some ways I do understand that. I do. And I think also the more feminine kind of perspective tends to be like, that come into the body so what's really here right now and mm. you know yeah um so how to hold both yeah 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 i appreciate that mm-hmm. what do you have anything about Kashmir shaivism you want to share because that's you mentioned that at the beginning and yeah that has a lot of similarities with uh tibetan or vajrayana buddhism it does yeah so i've studied it and i would not consider myself an expert i do feel in touch with the the essence of, of that teaching. Um, and and I think one of the things that offers that's maybe beyond the traditional Advaita view is um, like the, the Om symbol. Hmm. You know, it's like the three looking thing is waking right. state and dreaming, dreamless sleep, and then the Turiya, the sort of the state within which all the other states are arising. The and I think that comes from state. some of those Kashmiri uh, texts. And, hmm. and, um, and I think the, from what I understand, the invitation Kashmiri Shaivism is to uh, interact with and engage deeply with life as mm. it's appearing rather than uh, recognizing kind of essential truth about um, the inherent nature mm. of our experience and then kind of fusing with that understanding and not c- coming deeply back into life with uh, inquiry questions and lived out questions. And I think Kashmiri Shaivism invites that more of a dance, like I think some of the Tibetan tradition does too. Yeah. Rather than seeing everything as an illusion, so you don't need to do anything, actually engaging with the world. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. And that makes, it's not making anything wrong, you know, and it's not overly emphasizing to 
be in the world and meet all of the content perfectly of what arises in your experience. <laughs> and it's not overly emphasizing, you know, some kind of transcendent understanding, which does bring deep freedom. But then mm. how does that deep freedom get translated all the way back into the layers? Yeah. Mm, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I wonder if that will grow and spread because it's not a very well-known tradition, but it is it's a very not. profound one. And I think it mm-hmm. deeply influenced India. And it's just not, even in India, it's not that well-known now, but I think it's having, having to come back. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. It resonates with me. Um, and I think when you strip away kind of all the different philosophies and ideologies, for me, what I get really interested in is just how to, I guess, be a good human or just just live life uh, more and more kind of authentically in integrity, you know, mm. taking the kind of actions that are feeling responsive, like being loving and compassionate, mm. you know, not from a like spiritualized ideal of myself, but mm. from like an actual, like what's actually happening, what's, what's a... What's a good response in this moment, knowing the radical chaos and um, the unknown that we're that we're dwelling in? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess one thing that I got when you were just talking is like really just living your life fully. Mm-hmm. You don't need to put a spiritual lens on it. But if you're fully I, engaged with your life, that is a kind of spirituality. The, the is. language is tricky. It is. The word spirit and spirituality is always it doesn't quite mm-hmm. work for me. But I think that there's a difference in someone who's really alive and authentic and yes. in integrity and someone who's just kind of coasting by and zoning out. I mean, those are That's right. very different ways of being in the world. And you can feel the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And for whatever reason, for me, it feels better to do the other. <laughs> it feels better <laughs> to just, yeah, even when it hurts, you know, even when it hurts to look mm. and to, to really be awake to what's present, I, I prefer what's present. There's like a preference for what's here rather than to not feel bad. Because I just, it's more trustworthy to me. Yeah. I'll hurt myself by trying not to feel bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll feel a lot better by just <laughs> feeling bad and seeing what to do. <laughs> right. It's kind of like pain is, suffering is inevitable and you have to, yeah. better to face it and then try to escape from it. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like if you go to like a really nice resort or something and every, it's like a beautiful, like I went to Thailand a few years ago and you can go and like the beach and the weather and the food and everything will be perfect and like, but if you're not happy in your mind, then you may as well. What's so the point true. of being there? It's like. <laughs> so true. Yeah. <laughs> I fully agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And this whole thing of it's nice to travel places and all of that. But yeah, if it's <laughs> you bring your happiness with you or you leave it behind or whatever it is. Yeah. You just kind of carry it around with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and are you currently working? I guess I'm curious to hear more about mindfulness in terms of these bringing it to companies like Google and what effect you're seeing, what impact? Um, From what I understand from some other research, and I don't know that this is really great research in terms of really rigorous, you know, it's not, I don't think they're like taking Googlers and putting them through an fMRI machine, see what's happening to their brains. (laughs) Um, But from what I understand, the research is, is really good for reduction of, of stress symptoms Mm. and, increases in self-awareness and self-regulation. Nice. I think that might be yeah. one of the biggest uh, positives of that whole movement is people are starting to just become aware they have a body that has sensations, emotions, and thoughts and just going off autopilot and onto more of a, a, a presence-filled life. 
Mm. And the the self-regulation that can happen just from learning what self-awareness is, is pretty profound. Um, And I know that sometimes you can think, well, what does that have to do with meditation? I think it has everything to do with it, really, Mm. in terms of having a spontaneous, authentic response to any moment instead of a reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think that's, that's super important. I think that's part of the point of meditation. Like one of my, remember when I was an undergrad studying religious studies and Buddhism and there was a teacher and someone asked about that, like why, what is the point of sitting? And he's like, part of the point of it is you're not, you're not creating future conditions for yourself. Mm. You're just being with what's present mm-hmm. and you're kind of just pausing for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then I think what you're speaking to is like, eventually that you just carry that onto your life. So you don't have to be in a certain posture yeah. all the time. Absolutely. Cause you know what I, I, I like to think of it as when I feel a residue from something like I've had, say we're having this conversation and then you say something to me and I start to feel shame. And then <laughs> I say something a little off, like I'm kind of going away from myself, like a little self betrayal. I'm like, just start to um, try to please you or something like mm. that. Well, there's a, there's a perfect moment where, were I to like feel the shame, see the action I'm taking right now in the present moment, like, oh, I'm just now starting to get small so that, you know, this mm. didn't happen. But as an example, yeah. if I'm catching it in real time, it's just like that sitting on that cushion thing of this, I'm meeting what's happening and it's giving me information for what that appropriate kind of spontaneous response is. Mm. Like, oh, you know, I'm just feeling, I just noticed that thing I just said not really actually accurate and I can circle back right then however if I don't which a lot of us don't in the moment including me including this week you know (laughs) I've definitely done this where then I've gone away from myself in some way and what happens is um I leave here with you and I get in my car and I drive home and I'm like, Ooh, I feel a little off. It's like a and leftover. It's, like, it's a residue residue. Yeah, totally. And so at that, at that moment, then there's a new moment. Oh, that's what that's from. Mm. I can call you up. I can just meet it myself. Cause you don't need to be part of it. I can, uh, but mm. definitely if I start ruminating and then I avoid you next time I see you, cause I feel a little sheepish still, you know, we see how these, these complex dynamics can arise. Yeah. Yeah. this whole pattern or yeah. cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's that similar to what you're saying that teacher said about you're, you're not creating future patterns. But yeah. Is that the word what he, he said? actually used karma. karma. I was trying to avoid yeah. using that yeah. word. But right. if you just future sit karma. still, you're not creating a lot of karma. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're not creating waves in the world. You're just seeing what's happening here. And That's right. Yeah. 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 And if you, and if you respond to a moment of shame where you've betrayed yourself and done something that's just a little off enough to really feel like you want to circle back. Then that's then you're stopping that cycle there too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, so it's kind of the same thing. Something that I've been thinking about lately is, if we're in our body, if we're being aware, if we're practicing awareness, mindfulness, just paying attention, and paying attention to what feels true. There's like a somatic resonance to truthfulness, to integrity. Yes. And I think what you were just speaking to is like when you say something that is a little bit off, or even an outright lie, like you, some part of you knows that and feels that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you do the practice of meditation, the the more refined your connection is mm. uh, with the sense of offness. I have a chapter in my book on intuition because uh. I'm really interested in this, where where our gut instincts are accurate and where we go astray because mm. it's actually fear, you know. And I think the more that we the vision is our vision is less cloudy, 
the closer we are to coming into this kind of integrity with with our inner experience. So, and then it's never a bullseye, like this is right, this mm. is wrong. Right. It's just uh, being willing to meet what's there enough to know how to, how do I come back into alignment? I had one teacher tell me, um, if you're in like a canoe and your boat kind of tips too far to one side <laughs> and then you kind of tip it too far to the other side yeah. and then it writes itself kind of naturally. Yeah. And, and there's something about just the curiosity. So self-judgment is not in my experience strongly. I will be able to be more clear about what my integrity is. Mm. And, and if other judgment is not in my experience strongly, I will be more clear. So judgment can kind of block that. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Judgment, fear, fear can really block it. Yeah, I really kind of learned this lesson the hard way in my life. I'm still learning it around intuition and and people because I've hmm. I tend to always want to think positively about people and oh, and yeah. see them uh-huh. in the best possible light and get along with them and have a good time or conversation or connection and that's mm-hmm. you know that's a wonderful quality in myself that I appreciate. But it's there's been times where that where I haven't seen what I should have mm. seen, that someone, maybe the other person didn't have good intentions, so the other person wasn't being honest. And yeah. It can oh, turn into so wishful good. thinking. Absolutely. <laughs> <Get in trouble. laughs> Absolutely. Instead of, you know, because sometimes it can be hard to actually acknowledge in a moment, like, what you're seeing. Right. It's part of my blind spot, too. It's like, um, but with what the one you're talking about, not that it's your blind spot, but I just really appreciate no, the it's, way it's that you said spot. that. Okay, it is. <laughs> <laughs> At least one of them. <laughs> Because what's part of that is, it's like I don't, I don't want to think, be a person that thinks bad of this other person either. Because that's not who I am. I want to trust. I want to trust. I want to trust the other person. Yeah. And then it's hard to acknowledge. Sometimes I can't trust. Yeah. And right now I can't. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever meet an actual con artist or yes, someone trying to you know sell you something that's fake or something, then you can have that experience. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think there was something, I had an experience like that a while ago and um, someone, yeah, basically it was like they ripped me off and it, it's not, huh? it wasn't in the world, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was just a moment of like, there was something mm. in me that I think knew that and I uh-huh. didn't listen to that and... Oh, interesting. And then I got along in their, their little game they were playing. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the the cool practice, and maybe you've done this, is to kind of trace that thread all the way back to that first moment yeah. where you felt off. Yeah. yeah. And well, I, part, of, part yeah. of how they hooked me is they were like, they kept saying to me, like, what, you don't trust me? And I was like, oh, I do trust you. And then they oh. it built up this rapport, and they were inviting me to see their family and their friends, and they built up mm-hmm. this thing. And then afterwards, I realized it was all fake. It was all just an act. Yeah. But I got... Manipulated. Yeah, yeah I got manipulated into um, that if I wasn't trusting them, I was kind of being be a bad, bad person. Or, yeah. Right, right. And that they were being so nice and generous, but actually they weren't at all. They were yeah, <laughs> that's right. Because, you know, what's hard is you don't know, so you want to give the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But then also to trust the intuition. And if there is there was something in you that was kind of like, mm, there's something off. You you did feel, is that right? You felt something. Yeah, I mean, afterwards I could look back and be like, man, that was so dumb of me. Like, mm. I, I should have mm-hmm. known better. Mm. But uh, yeah, sometimes we just don't see it. Yeah. yeah, it was a learning experience. Absolutely, absolutely. And then to be willing to be that person that's kind of appears like a jerk, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't trust you. Like, I don't think you're trustworthy, you know? And um, that can be really... That can be really helpful, actually. To sometimes that's the more, yeah, more the move with more integrity. That's right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's right. Or I trust what I've learned about you, which is that you might not be able to to 
um, hold what I'm about to tell you. Mm. And that was one of my blind spots that I, that I broke through. I just trusted that, you know, if I share this with someone that, um, the conversation will go well because I have good intentions. It's like, that's not true about everyone. Mm. And um, so to actually see who the person is that you're interacting with and kind of tell yourself truth about that, I do think, yeah, it's a it's an edge to learn how to almost be a little mistrust mistrustful when one needs to be right. or just trusting of what you see, which is maybe a better way to say it too. Yeah, no, yeah. I like that way of looking at it. Like what's what do I'm actually seeing? What did I actually experience? And, and acknowledge it. And then sometimes we get yeah. blindsided and we get blindsided. And yeah, anybody <laughs> would in that scenario. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, any uh, last words you want to share with us? Hmm. It's been a really nice to chat with you. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah. Do you have a, a website you want to mention? Oh, I do. Like it's um, I'm at kellyboys.org. Yes. It's um, K-E-L-L-Y-B-O-Y-S.org. And I have retreats coming up. I'm teaching, it's full right now, but uh, a week long at Esalen Institute and oh, wow. Thanksgiving week. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's beautiful there. I just yeah. taught there. Uh, and I'm going to go back. And then I have um, a week long at Kripalu in March. The same mm. theme on gratitude. Beautiful. And then some others coming up. There, are, it's all the stuff is on my website, and I'm on Simple Habit, the meditation app, and, um, okay. and yeah, this book came out a year, just over a year ago, The Blind Spot Effect. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, check it out if you're interested. But thanks so much for having me here. If you found this podcast valuable, there are many ways that you can support it. You can blog about it, post about it on your social media accounts, and share it with friends. You can visit our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash a state of mind. And you can leave us a review in your favorite podcast listening app. For episode notes and more information and links, please visit astateofmindplay.com. And to learn more about my work as a therapist, meditation teacher, and coach, visit julianocean.us. Thanks so much. And I will see you here next time.